I'm Grace and I'm on a journey of holistic sustainability. This podcast was created to explore what conscious living really means in the most inclusive and accessible way and to share it with whoever wanted to listen. So tune in each episode for discussions of everything from intersectional environmentalism, being black in nature and the realities of sustainable living, to self-care rituals, recipes, reviews and conversations with everyday folks doing extraordinary things. Welcome to the Green Soul Grace podcast. Hi everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Green Soul Grace podcast. I am Grace, your host, and it's really wonderful to be here again, to be coming back for a second episode <laughs> after my premiere last, not last week, but two weeks ago. I'm kind of thinking about doing the podcast every two weeks at the moment. It may get to every one week, but I thought, let me just not set myself a, what should, what would you call it, <laughs> set myself a goal or commit myself to a weekly timing and not be able to keep up just with everything that's going on. So consistency is key. So at the moment, every other week, you will be graced with my presence. So here I am again. Thank you so much to everybody who tuned into the last episode. It was amazing to do, amazing to put myself out there and the feedback that I got was incredible, really, really incredible. I'm so glad you enjoyed the conversation that I had with Jacina. It was so fun to record. And I think that people really learnt some things from the episode, from what we were talking about, got some great information um, and just sparked conversations. I was having a lot of conversations that people had um, messaged me on Instagram with their reflections about the episode and it was great just how it sparked individual people's thinking about um, reparative justice, uh, reparations in the UK, land reparations etc. Because as we were talking about in the episode last week, but there's a lot of this happening in America, when we sometimes think about and talk about these things our minds often go to America uh, to the States and it's really really great to focus on what's happening in the UK as well because there are so many movements happening and it is really really important for these conversations to be happening here as well so it was great that so many people got so much from the episode and from just Justina's amazing conversation and learning about what her the amazing organisation that she co-founded does so that was wonderful uh, you'll have to excuse my excited mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that we're in the um that we're in the interview i was fully into the conversation fully into the conversation and when i was listening to it back i was just like oh my god it's it's so funny how you feel when you hear yourself on on not on screen how you hear yourself recorded and once you sort of push through that cringe barrier, I thought the conversation was great, but I was like, oh my God, you're saying mm-hmm, so much. Uh, I just, yeah, I was just super into the conversation. So apologies <laughs> for anybody who was getting overwhelmed with my mm-hmms. So here we are, another week. We are just over halfway through Plastic Free July. For those of you who have been um, doing the challenge, How's it been going? I hope it's been going well. It's very, very hard during this period, during COVID, 
to stick to low waste habits to stick to plastic free habits it's hard enough generally in life to do that especially during covid where your options for shopping are maybe a lot more limited you don't have the capacity the ability so many different things to be able to shop in different shops for your various needs so you might just settle on one shop that might just be the supermarket and that's all you can access and the supermarket doesn't offer offer many low waste alternatives and for those people that feel that and just in general my advice for that always if you can't buy something that isn't in plastic if possible try to buy the largest amount available so a bulk size of that particular product if you know that it's something that you will buy frequently so rather than individual packets the same things for multi-buys so if you buy something where obviously for, for convenience they are multi-packed individually wrapped foil fresh wrapped all of that kind of jazz yes it's convenient but if you can just buy the packet that doesn't have all of those individually wrapped items and you yourself can divide it up of course, this is this is assuming that you do have the time or capacity, that then is an alternative to it. Also, if you can buy things in glass jars and in metal containers rather than in plastic, um, yes, it's not unpackaged, because obviously the ultimate goal would be that you could buy loads and loads of things unpackaged, but that's not the reality and won't be the reality for a long time. But if you can buy things that are then either in glass or metal with those things that can be recycled infinitely and reused in a way that isn't dangerous to your health as plastic where it degrades it's dangerous to your health but glass won't degrade and metal won't degrade in that way but they can be recycled infinitely without losing their um you know their physical integrity that's always something that i if i've ever been asked i try to encourage people to do so while we are you know in a pandemic Obviously, there's all the politics around that, but regardless of your opinions of how and why we're in in the situation that we're in, the reality still is for many people that shopping is different and shopping is difficult. So don't be too hard on yourself with the choices that you've had to make during this time. Now we're coming out of it, and now is the time that we can, bit by bit, readopt our plastic free or low waste habits but while we didn't have much choice we could only do the best that we could do within the circumstances that we found ourselves so yeah that's just what I wanted to say about that I have definitely found it a lot harder to do plastic free July this year and I think it's just about being honest where it's just like this is the reality of it I like we can't I can't always not buy plastic stuff I try as best as I can but I also have to balance the needs of of my household. I have to balance the needs of my partner. I have to balance my own needs as well, which won't always meet in the middle of being plastic free. And it is just about being gentle on yourself and trying the best that you can. And if everybody is trying the best that they can, then we are so much further than if everybody thinks that they can if they, they can only engage if they will be 100% perfect. I think it was the Zero Waste Chef, um, I think her name's Anne-Marie something, but she's very famous. She's, um, she's very, very popular on Instagram and she's got a great blog, um, Zero Waste Chef, where she says, we don't need 
a handful of people doing zero waste perfectly. We need millions of people doing it imperfectly, but are trying and are doing their best and therefore also still having an impact. So yeah, that's my sort of plastic free July message, especially during this time, is that we literally are doing our best. That's it really. And I mean, for example, this, I find it quite hard to go plastic free if I'm camping. There are then food, certain foods and stuff that I buy that are quite heavily, heavily packaged. And that's something I really struggle with. And I would like to start some sort of forum or start some conversation about people's tips. I'd love to learn how people sort of reconcile that because you can have things that are packaged that won't go off which you can then cook because you don't have anything to keep your food fresh. So I really, really struggle with that. And I'd love to get better and I'd love to learn more. But I, this weekend, I'm going camping. Um, well, I say I'm going camping. I'm, I'm, I am camping in my grandma's garden because, <laughs> well, actually I will have gone by the time this episode is released. But as a way to be able to visit my grandma, who of course has been isolating uh, this whole time, self-isolating this whole time, and she's 92 on on um, in a few days from when this she will be 92 by the time this podcast is released. And myself and my sister obviously have missed her so much, and she who has been following the government guidelines, you know, for good and for bad, even though we have conversations about that, saying, well, actually, Grandma, what do you think is the best thing to do? Because the government obviously, like, is doing fuck all, really. That's another conversation for another time. But she um, obviously is scared for us to be in the house. And we thought the best way that we can do it, she's got a big garden, is that we can camp. So we're going to camp. But even with that, we're not going to be able to go in and out, traipsing too much in and out of the house. The whole point is to try and minimise contact in that way. So we will have to find all the things that we need to cook, things that don't need to be kept cool, all of that kind of stuff. So it's going to be a little bit of a struggle. Um, and I'm going to probably have to buy some things in plastic in order to accommodate that. Because my priority at the moment is to keep my grandma safe. And I don't want to stress her out by trying to go in and use the kitchen and, you know, use the cooker and stuff. It's really hard to find that balance. And I do better at it sometimes and sometimes just due to what is happening around, you know, in my life, I am less successful. But I try not to be too hard on myself because it's about the majority of the time. And if the majority of the time I'm, you know, really, really, really on it and doing the best that I can, then then that's all I can ask, really. And that's all anyone can ask, because the, our lives, unfortunately, just don't fit into the sort of neat package of zero waste. You know, that's just not how this world works. But we can do so much to facilitate that. But when at times it doesn't always happen, we then have to be gentle with ourselves. So yes, so that's that. Um, I did say last episode that I would be going a little bit more into my story and how I've come to create this podcast and why I'm imposing myself on you every two weeks. And I guess I'll just start a bit with that. So I've always had an interest in the environment. I've always been environmentally engaged through all different avenues, really. That's always been about the things that I put on my body, the things that I put in my body, um, the food that I eat, everything trying to be as close to its natural form as possible. So a real interest in and a love of whole food cooking and eating. 
of natural products um, for my skin because also I've got very sensitive skin so that also fueled it and I guess definitely this interest was increased and encouraged by my degree I'm a geography graduate I graduated from Queen Mary University of London it's actually been about six years it came off of my Facebook memories the other day six years since I graduated and so that has always been my interest and after uni, a couple of, uh, sort of year or two after uni, you know, going through the classic internship volunteering stage, I then got a job at a recycling, a waste management recycling company. I won't say the name, but I got a job for them as their environmental education officer, which was amazing. So I was going around um, the borough. We were contracted by the local authority. This organisation was contracted by the local authority to do the waste collection as well as to do environmental education and residential outreach. So I was environmental education officer. I was going around to all the schools in the borough, teaching them about recycling, waste management, different environmental issues, also trying to get them to sign up to the food, um, food waste scheme that we were running. And it was great. I loved it. I loved being out and about. It was majority, like about 70% out um, and about rather than behind a desk because I wilt <laughs> behind a desk too long. So I love that aspect of it. I love the teaching. I love the workshopping. Um, I did have a few problems with it, though. I felt that we weren't teaching enough about consumption in the first place. You know, we did the sort of three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle, but because we were a company that got their money from people recycling, we encouraged recycling. So we didn't encourage waste, we didn't encourage, well, waste reduction and consumption reduction. So I'm all about trying to tell the children, like, listen, guys, <laughs> we just don't need as much stuff. Let's just stop buying things. You know, let's dismantle capitalism. <laughs> Obviously, I couldn't really be doing that. And that was a bit of an issue. And I felt a definite conflict of interest here and a real, just a real um, false kind of information that we were telling the children. I just wanted to tell the children the truth. I wanted to tell the residents the truth. <laughs> but again, working for a company that got their money from people recycling, they weren't really trying to tell people to stop consuming in the first place and still trying to promote recycling as one of the best things that we can do. Whereas recycling really is way down the line of um, sort of responsible environmental stewardship. That should be something that is one of the last resorts. It should be all of the stuff that we're considering before that. It was also very difficult because the organisation that I worked for, it wasn't as if then people within the organisation also were promoting more environmentally conscious living. I was kind of nominated slashed, slasher, pushed into <laughs> being recycling champion of the office. And you know, I kind of like set up all the bins differently. Again, the fact that we're a recycling company and we needed a recycling champion, that in itself should kind of slightly ring some alarm bells for you. But I was, you know, there setting up bins and posters and engaging people and trying to say like, hey guys, you know, we don't just have one bin now, we've got two bins, let's put things in a recycling bin. Lots of paper waste, obviously, because we're an office. And no one wanted to. Well, very, very few people wanted to. And these are people that are telling residents to recycle. You know, we're telling residents to recycle. And 
no one can be bothered in the actual office and we couldn't even maintain a food waste bin it just got like disgusting and no one really did it and people were putting the wrong things in there again we're telling residents to do this and we're kind of you know this is our whole public relations our whole marketing push is to get residents to recycle properly to also sign up to the food waste scheme and we ourselves couldn't even maintain that in our in our office so it felt very disheartening it's not that you want to be in a place where you're sort of speaking to an echo chamber where everybody everybody thinks the same way <clears throat> you know we need to talk to people to try to get them on board and try to get them to see this way of environmental engagement but if you are just literally pushing against a tide of people that don't care it's very disheartening and these things then need to be part of policy they need to be something in built into the company's um what do you call it you know corporate social responsibility or just general general values as a company the same way that you have people that do diversity and inclusion work and find it incredibly hard to get any change of culture because it's not something that's inbuilt or supported by higher management yes you can have a boss who's like oh yeah that's a great idea go on do it but then if there's nothing actually in there to support it people won't engage with it unless they have to and even if the only thing that is making them do it is the fact that it's inbuilt into the policy even if they themselves don't necessarily believe in it but into the policy it says you have to use the different types of bins to recycle, <laughs> then that's something. And that wasn't there and it just felt very disheartening and I felt it was a real conflict of my values and my beliefs about my approach to environmental stewardship and environmental engagement. And I mean, you know, as things kind of happen, everything happens for a reason, I was then actually made redundant. The environmental education department was disbanded a, a very very questionable decision as well as the outreach um the outreach department which talked to residents and engaged res residents that was reduced by a crazy number so my department was actually just completely disbanded the council that we were contracted by was trying to save money and thought that that was the way to do it so there's no formal environmental education in that way in in that borough now which is a real shame, a real shame and very, very, very short-sighted. And then that kind of coincided with some real massive changes in my life anyway. My mum passed away and I had a real just sort of think about what it is and where I wanted to, like what it, what it is that I wanted to do and where it was that I wanted to go. Like the, the redundancy literally coincided with my mum's passing. So I had a bit of time to think about things because if I'd have stayed in that organisation um, whilst when my mum had passed, I would have got five days compassionate leave. Five days compassionate leave is just insane. So the fact that it coincided with being redundant anyway gave me some time to really, really think about the direction that I wanted to go. You know, I was lucky that I could sort of manage myself financially for a little while whilst I could think of that, whilst I could heal, whilst, whilst I could grieve and think about what it was that I wanted to do. And I had thought about going into another organisation, doing a similar thing, because it's absolutely my passion, it's what I love, and it's what I really, um, I really believe in. And then I thought, well, you know, maybe I just want to do it myself. Maybe I create my own thing, I try to get funding, and I try to... <laughs> 
create an organization that really, really operates from the values that I believe and what people should be taught about environmental issues and how they can be engaged and active and involved in it. And so one thing led to another and over time things evolved and things evolved and it took quite a long time to get to that point just because of other things that were happening in my life like just the fallout of having, you know, a parent die or anyone close to you die, the practical, the practical things, the emotional things that all come with that, things just don't happen in a linear way. So really taking my time um, with that and these things kind of popping up, I'd done a bit of traveling. And so every time I went to somewhere new, like a new idea came to me of a way that I wanted to do this work and how I wanted to do this work. And then eventually I created a personal blog. I created Green Soul Grace as a personal, a personal blog to just document the journey that I was taking of my environmental awakening and my awareness and my journey of holistic sustainability. That was formed in around October 2018 when I was in Ghana um, traveling. And then a couple of months after that in March, I formed the formal arm of my work, which is Earth for All, which is um, which is, so about a couple of months after that, I formed the formal arm of my work, formal, you could say, um, an organisation called Earth for All, which is all about advocating for the protection of the planet by making sustainable living accessible to everybody. And that's done through education, through consultancy and through public speaking. And last year, so after forming it last year in about March, I had an amazing summer of workshops at various festivals, workshops at home in London, um, writing articles, writing various things. And that's fantastic. So that's my more formal arm of sustainable living and making sustainable living accessible to people. Uh, obviously, things have had to change now this summer. This summer was set to be another, you know, another season of face to face workshops and various things. So I'm kind of regrouping with that, regrouping and thinking how I'm going to work in this new time of digital, you know, digital education, digital interaction, digital connection. So that's what's happening with that. And then Green Soul Grace has sort of just been petering along alongside that. But within the last couple of months, I guess there's been a resurgence because of everything that's been happening, um, because of the resurgence of the Black, Life Ma Black Lives Matter movement and various other things in my life, my desire and fire to really be out there with my journey and sharing my journey has become so much stronger, or not much stronger, it's just sort of resurged. So something that I'd always thought about having a podcast has then really come to the fore where I, I had the equipment, I had, you know, an amazing audio recorder and I had the just sort of mental space and the capacity to do it because just this life is, <laughs> this life is a lot. And while we always have these ideas and these creative, creative feelings and these, these desires to put stuff out there sometimes when you're just not in the right headspace it just doesn't get to that point so with one thing or you know one thing and another kind of things aligned for me to feel really really ready and really really comfortable to start this particular platform and it kind of is an extension of just the general beliefs around the, the beliefs that I have around environmental engagement which is so much more of a positive empowering way of 
getting people to think about their environmental impact. So never from a place of righteousness or judgment or condemnation or condescension or very sort of fundamental, this is right, this is wrong, if you're doing this, then you're part of the problem, etc. Because that just doesn't work. It just does not work. And while I, you know, for example, while I absolutely appreciate and promote all of the benefits that can be found of a plant-based or majority plant-based diet, I have to then look at the reasons why people are living in food deserts and why is it that people can't access this particular type of eating before I say that that is the only way to be environmentally engaged. We have to look at that and we have to see what can be changed in order to people then, for them people to engage in a wider, you know, in a wider subject, in a wider issue. And that then obviously takes it into different areas and that's why it's so important to have an understanding of intersectional environmentalism where what we have seen often and what I have seen traditionally and what I've experienced traditionally is a very very blinkered understanding of environmental engagement where it's right or wrong it's vegan or nothing it's this it's that it's you know and it's like oh but you need to take into account where somebody's living and their, you know, their exposure to pollution, their exposure to a food desert, you know, what kind of jobs are they working that are they, you know, are they able to go to three different shops where they can get their various zero waste produce and then, you know, cook everything from scratch? We have to understand everything. And my, my whole push of sustainable living and you know environmental engagement is understanding holistic sustainability and to just start discussions about you know trying to break down these these words and these greenwashing words and these buzzwords about you know what is now very much promoted as like oh vegan you know a vegan product so it doesn't use any animal and animal products uh, you know a great thing to aspire to and that's fantastic but so you might get a laptop case, for example, made with, I think, neoprene. I think that's one of the most common things that are used. So someone might market it and say, oh, that's vegan. You know, it's a vegan laptop. So people think, great, that's sustainable. That's what I should be doing. That's the word du jour, you know, the word of the day. But then that laptop is made in a factory that emits absolutely toxic pollution into a community in, for example, in America, that is most likely to be an indigenous or African-American community where the rates of cancer are incredibly high and is a, as, is a glaring example of environmental racism, but is promoted as something good because it's vegan. So we just have to look deeper into these questions. For example, the the shop Whole Foods, Whole Foods Market, which I have a lot of pro I have a lot of problems with generally, but that is very much market marketed as an ethical place to shop, you know, with ethical organic ethical values. But then pretty much everything or so many things in there are like little single serving snacks or single you know single use packaging in non-recyclable foil lined you know packets that are incredibly environmentally <laughs> unfriendly but because it's promoted as organic and eco and because there are there you know whole foods 
it's like that doesn't match up. So we just have to look a bit deeper. And I'm not saying I have the answers at all. I'm not have I don't have the answers at all. But we have to have these conversations that go deeper than just these buzzwords, which then make people feel like, okay, cool. If I don't fit into these categories, or I don't shop in these places, or I don't buy this like vegan laptop cover, I'm part of the problem. And it's just about looking deeper. Again, another example is when people are promoting a plant-based diet, which again, nothing wrong with that, but the majority then of the products that they're eating or the foods that they're eating are not local to here. You know, a diet that relies very heavily on, on foods that are staples of other communities. So for example, when the big quinoa boom took off, you know, quinoa, the amazing magical food stuff that has high levels of protein, so perfect for a plant-based diet. That's then a, a food that's indigenous and a staple to countries like Bolivia and um, Bolivia, Ecuador, Colombia, in kind of Southern American communities. And when there was this massive boom that people were really, really into buying these, um, buying quinoa, it completely priced out for local communities. So people who, this is their staple, and then they're having to produce and grow quinoa to export whilst not being able to afford it themselves and then potentially, you know, potentially starving because there aren't other other local crops perhaps that they that they can eat. But they like rather than growing food for themselves, they are growing food for other people because this has become the new superfood. And but it's great because it's plant based and that should be what we're thinking about. So it's just asking these questions is having these discussions and like I say I don't have the answers at all I don't have the answers but I know that there is a better way of doing it where we don't have this dichotomy of you know vegan or not or you know organic or not and we have to just keep the conversation going and think of sustainability in a holistic way so that's kind of my my main thrust of why I want to do this work and why I want to start these conversations, why I've started this podcast, why I have my blog, why I have my work, Earth for All, because the questions are so much bigger. So I also want to make sure that people understand that while they have an individual responsibility for the choices that they make day to day, and there are things that they can do which absolutely have an impact environmentally to also not feel like the onus is all on them and understand that their political engagement like politics with a big p political engagement is also necessary is also fundamental to changing the system so we recycle but then who do we vote for how do we organize how are we voting with our money so that's just a sort of a very general very <laughs> very brief overview of my views of holistic sustainability and what I try to talk about and what I try to promote and where I try to engage people in these conversations and yes that's that's me that all oh, that's a part of me <laughs> and also I'm very much learning this is my journey as I've stated it's a journey a journey of holistic sustainability because holistic like, sustainability has many faces and it's ever evolving, ever changing, ever shifting because the world changes. So I am giving myself space to learn 
constantly just as everybody else is going to be learning constantly but I wanted to create a platform where I can share these ideas share these conversations and learn from each other so that we can be trying to practice the best version <laughs> of sustainability possible you know while just understanding the intersections of our lives and knowing that nothing is going to be perfect but support and and encourage each other as much as possible basically so this is a section called what on earth is happening i originally was using this uh this section in my earth for all work but i would love for it to also be in here just as a little overview about what's been happening in the world and what just what's going on and i came across on instagram uh, I think it was yesterday, uh, an initiative called Loop, who are in partnership with Tesco, which is a doorstep zero waste refill initiative, which sounds really, really cool. I will just read what it's saying. So their strap line is to say, we're Loop, a new way to shop for all your favourite products without the waste. Imagine zero waste versions of your everyday essentials from all your favourite brands that's us. Why own a package? A why own a product's packaging and have to throw it away when you're done? When all we want is the stuff inside. With Loop, temporarily place a 100% refundable deposit to borrow the packaging, and we'll professionally clean and reuse it once you're finished. So they have waste-free delivery. So say goodbye to stacks of cardboard boxes, ice packs, and bubble wrap. We deliver. We deliver waste-free to your doorstep in the reusable Loop tote. Your weekly shop never felt so good, okay? Um, reusable packaging doesn't just feel great, it looks great too. Redesigning packaging to be durable and reusable is not only good for the planet, it also makes your favourite products more attractive and functional. And then simple and sustainable returns. Forget the hassle of cleaning, sorting and throwing single-use packaging. When you're done with a loop when you're done with a loop product, just put it back into the loop tote and schedule a free pickup from your home. Alternatively, you can also return them at one of your drop-off points or our drop-off points or schedule a pickup to coincide with your next delivery. So that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. So it's working on the deposit scheme that you're paying that bit extra for the product because you're going but you'll get that back so it's paying the deposit for the for the packaging and i've had a look on the website in terms of the product and you have all things like danone natural yogurt so yogurt that's in a glass uh, container you have certain things like soap and stuff that's in their plastic containers with um, um pumps or actually no that looks like it's in a glass container heinz tomato ketchup it's all um, the brand, like it's Heinz, it will then say Loop on it as well. So really, really interesting. We've got toiletries here, so we've got shave balm, we've got moisturiser, lots and lots of stuff. I had a look on the Instagram page and there were a lot of comments to say that it was expensive. And this is the issue. This really, really is the issue and this is what is hard. And we're actually going to talk about this a lot next week not sorry not next week but next episode with my very special guest who who runs a whole food shop and we're going to talk about fair food and about the pricing of food it's a really 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 hard it's a hard balance to strike because while we absolutely need to and want to make food accessible and inclusive to understand 
the um, the constraints that people have, the financial constraints that people have, we have also got very, very used to paying very little for food that should cost more in terms of the fair wages and the fair, just the fair production costs for the producer. So, you know, a packet of pasta, someone had commented saying like, oh, a, a, a kilo of pasta was something like five pounds. And they're saying this is ridiculous because of course I can get um, a packet, uh, like a kilo of pasta for something like 45p at my local supermarket. And yeah, you can, but should it be 45p? And again, that's not then to blame these people who are wanting to pay 45p that's then blaming the wages that they're being paid and how you know why why is it that they can't pay more for that so it's obviously the whole system it's the system as a whole but it's it's a it's a big debate it's a big question but while things need to be made accessible absolutely food also needs to be priced at a wage at a wage at a price that actually pays the producers a fair amount and pays the workers the producers the pickers everything um because when something is 45p who who is getting any any profit from that because i'm very sure it's not the producers of that it's a really really hard conversation and of course then it might only be certain people that are able to use this scheme but the great thing is that the scheme at least exists and that the conversation is at least being had to make something like this widely accessible i also saw that some of the comments were saying that it is possibly the pilot scheme where they're just having a look and introducing it and the prices may adjust after that so that's something positive we can only wait and see but it looks really cool. I was really happy to see that something like this is existing and for the fact that they deal with all of the cleaning and all of the, just all of the cleanup and all of the pickup and stuff, it makes it very easy because that is the biggest thing that will stop people is additional work that they have to do. So we will see, we will see. I will keep you in the loop and uh, let you know any latest developments with that. I think that was all I wanted to say on that. Another topic, and this has nothing to do with the environment, but this is not just an environmental podcast. So in the area where I live, I live in Harringay, in the Tottenham community press, there was an article about place names in Harringay to be reviewed. So, street, place and building names in Haringey with historical links to colonialism will be reviewed. And it's got a picture of the street Black Boy Lane on there. If anybody is from Haringey or Tottenham knows very much that that, that <laughs> knows about that road and knows that it's... I've just always felt uncomfortable, always felt uncomfortable on that street. Like, just, it's just very uncomfortable. And somebody actually commented on on the picture on the Instagram, on their Instagram page and was like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Why is it gonna be removed? This was actually named after a chimney sweep. And you know, what we have to do is remove the bad associations of the words rather than the thing itself. Cause what are we going to say? Um, non color boy lane or something, something like that. And I was like, okay, all right, all right, all right. I'd like to know your sources to know if it was named after a a chimney sweep. I would be very interested to see if it was, but chances are it probably isn't. 
And the leader of Harringay Council, Councillor Joseph Ejiofor, has said that there is a lot a need for a long overdue discussion about the way in which we memorialise historical figures. Absolutely. Obviously, the toppling of the statue of Edward Colston in Bristol has sparked a lot of this within the UK. Obviously, things like this have been going on in America with the removal of certain Confederate statues, but we haven't necessarily been having this conversation in the UK. So it's very important, very important. Just as an aside, um, a statue was erected um, in the place of the Edward Colston statue of a Black Lives Matter activist which was an amazing, beautiful statue. I, it obviously wasn't done with permission, in quotation marks. Um, and unfortunately, it's been removed like within a day. It's a real, real shame. But um, yeah, so that's the latest on that issue. But the toppling of that statue has led to various conversations. So, and this is um, in response also to the mayor, uh, London Mayor Sadiq Khan, announcing that there will be a commission to review and improve the diversity of London's public landmarks. Sadiq Khan said, we must commemorate the achievements and diversity of all in our city. And that includes questioning which legacies are being celebrated. Absolutely. In an interview with Sky News, he added, we've got to recognise that our public realm, statues, squares, street names don't accurately reflect our values in London 2020. Or, re sorry, reflect our values or London in 2020. In light of this review, Councillor Ejiofor said, if we are truly, if we are to truly demonstrate our commitment to and solidarity with the aims of the Black Lives Matter movement, we must seriously address these issues. If we, are, if we were naming roads today, we would never choose Rhodes Avenue, which is named after Thomas Rhodes, great uncle to Cecil Rhodes, an imperialist, colonialist and white supremacist. Absolutely. A petition to rename Rhodes Avenue Primary School in Wood Green is currently being led by three former pupils. They advocate for the school to be renamed in honour of the late South African activist Oliver Tambo, who lived in exile in Haringey for over two decades. As the long as the long time president of the African National Congress ANC, Oliver Tambo fought against the apartheid government, bringing the plight of black South Africans to international attention. Petitioners Alex, um, Alexia, and Francis say the road's name cannot be disentangled from the pursuit of white supremacy and the dehumanization and subjugation of black people. The school's name pays homage to a family whose most notable member fought against the ideals of great leaders in civil rights and the anti-apartheid movement, such as Nelson Mandela and Oliver Tambo. Oliver Tambo lived in our community and there are two monuments to memorialise him, which sits adjacent, and one of which sits adjacent to Rhodes Avenue Primary School. The ultimate irony appears that the imperialism and the man that helped to end its rule in South Africa are juxtaposed within a few hundred yards of each other. Yes. So that's interesting because the thing is, in, in this, of course, in this country, the legacy of colonisation, of slavery is everywhere. This country was built on that and it cannot be disentangled from it. And my personal view is that I, I don't want these statues in any way to be praised and to be celebrated. They need to be removed from public spaces of adoration or just of celebration. But I want people to know why, if, if they are just taken down, like in the same way, in some ways I agree with people who say like, oh, you can't just erase history. No, don't erase it, but tell the truth about it. I think we mentioned this in the last episode with Jacina, we were talking about the Edward Colston statue. And don't just erase it, talk about it, because this is the issue that in this country, 
where people don't understand the history of this country and how this country came to be who it is the great you know the great empire of britain built off the back of colonization and slavery that needs to be said so when we do raise these questions about these statues about these place names about all of this stuff we then actually need to talk about who they are who they were what did they contribute to this country in whatever disgusting oppressive way that they did and for people to know that and be like this is why we're removing it and that i don't want erasure i just want the truth i want the truth i, I want it to be taken away from public adoration because i don't want to see the statue of someone who had slaves or who was an imperialist and traveled to africa and colonized africa i don't want to see that i don't want to see that and for that to be celebrated because it literally is just like a punch in the stomach every time the disrespect is so high so high but i want people to know why it is that we're angry and to be honest this then is the wider question and the wider conversation about people really understanding actual british history which is world history which is black history and then it leads on to further and further and further things and it's just the propaganda has been so strong in this country and around the world as we know where people genuinely just do not know how this country came to be how it came to be and it's like a revelation it's like a shock to the shock to people and it's literally you have to sort of start from the very beginning because the propaganda has been so successful sometimes it's not willful ignorance sometimes it literally is ignorance as to why you know as as to how this country how this country came to be as the country that we see now so i just found that very interesting and i'm really um happy that the leader of uh Haringey council you know the, the borough that i live in is having this conversation and starting to remove those things and yeah roads of course i never even put two and two together that roads primary school of course it would be that family and then for the fact that there is an Oliver Tambo statue so close by, the irony is, whew, the irony is strong. The irony is very strong. So we need to be having these conversations. We need to, and we need to be educating, or the country needs to be educated. I don't know who needs to be doing the educating because, you know, fucking emotional labour, it's a lot out here, but it needs to happen, but not be erased because I, I don't want it just to be forgotten about how this country came to be, how it is so that's that so what i'd like to do each episode is to end on some good environmental news or just general good news but this week it happens to be or this episode it happens to be, be environmental news there's an account i follow on instagram which is really really great i'll link it below it's called better news official and it just gives really great things happening all around the world just as a bit of a contrast to the timeline that can often be quite depressing and quite intense one of their stories was scotland now generates enough wind energy to power all its homes 90 percent of its energy demand including transport industry and everything now comes from renewables so that is really good news that's fantastic we need to follow suit also another story on there was an Indian architect has found a way of sucking carbon emissions out of the atmosphere and making stylish tiles. Tejas Sidnal's Mumbai-based startup uses a device called Air Inc. 
to draw CO2 out of the air, combine it with marble chips and powder, and press it into elegantly designed tiles to meet the huge demand for building materials in India in an eco-friendly way. That is fantastic. That is amazing. So on Better News, you'll find stories like that all the time that just kind of give you a bit of hope and a bit of faith. Because So that's what I always like to try to remember, is that while the world is incredibly crappy at times there is still also amazing stuff going on and it's always existing at the same time you know and it's this constant swing between terrible and amazing because this is just how life is really that there will always be good things and there will always be bad things going on and it's just such a sort of a relief and enjoyment to to read about the amazing stuff that's happening in the face of terrible things that beauty and just humanity and connection and innovation still exists and still continues so i'm very grateful for um grateful for Instagram pages like that or just news sources like that that I can get a nice little fix of good vibes <laughs> good vibes when things all seem to be pretty pretty or oh, pretty down and pretty hard and pretty horrible so yeah so that's the end of today's episode kind of like a you know medium length uh, thank you so much for joining me and next episode we've got an amazing guest Amy, who runs a whole food shop, runs the whole food shop Wholesome Way up in Hitchin. And we will be talking about accessible zero waste shopping, the role that whole food shops play in their local community, about fair food and fair pricing, and just generally having a lovely chat with a wonderful woman. So I hope you can join me in the next episode but thank you for joining me in this one it's just been wonderful again and yes thank you guys um i'll link any of the the items that i've spoken about in the description box and i will see you on social media somewhere probably during during this time so yeah take care everybody and we will be back with another episode soon Thank you for listening to the Green Soul Grace podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at, at @greensoulgrace and greensoulgrace.org for the blog, recipes, DIY projects and the Green Soul Grace Zero Waste Shop. <laughs>